the good news of the gospel, something that we definitely want to get out to all people, because God calls all people to himself. That's what we're going to talk about today. Dear friends in Christ, on August 14th in 2003 at 4.09 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the lights went out. It happened in New York City, in Buffalo, in Toronto, Toledo, other places. The entire Northeast Corridor had gone black in the largest blackout in United States history. It shut down planes, trains, automobiles, and buses, and subways. But there was very little panic that took place. In fact, then there was no looting going on, or little looting. There was no price gouging. Some shopkeepers had sold candles and bottled water at reduced prices instead of increased ones. People shared their cab rides and cell phones. And almost everyone got home from work late. On a positive note, there was one woman who lived in Manhattan She says the first time that evening that she ever saw the Big Dipper in her life. Well, the reason for the massive collapse of what was known as the Lake Erie Corridor, it had involved 100 electric plants, and it was traced in part to the failure of trimming tree branches way over in Cleveland. And there was a telephone pole, too, that had brought down some electrical lines. Well, that was about 19 years ago. Chances are that you're probably going to experience once, perhaps, this summer, because of storms and high winds, a power outage yourself. It's going to bring the power lines to the ground. We just can't seem to let go of the telephone pole, can we? The supercharged, high-tech, wired world that we live in, it relies almost entirely on a quaint, low-tech, 19th-century invention known as the telephone pole. And this simple pine pole, well, it started out as a support for telegraph wires back in the mid-1800s, when Samuel Morris had installed the first copper cable that went from Washington, D.C. to Annapolis Junction, as it was called. And since then, these poles have taken on an ever-growing responsibility. They delivered our telephone service, cable TV, the internet, electric power at homes and businesses. In the Washington Post, Steve Perlstein had written, as a result, it now takes only a strong gust of wind to bring the capital of the free world to a virtual standstill. Clearly, we've got a telephone pole problem. But what can we do to prevent high winds from knocking out our phones, cable TV, internet access, and electric power? Well, the answer is really quite simple. Bury the lines underground. But utility companies, they don't want to do that, saying that that transition would be quite expensive. But it's not perhaps the greatest excuse. Massive public works, they've had projects that have been conducted before, even in New York City years ago, a city that depended on a system of pipes and aqueducts to get its water, At one point, it embarked on a massive effort to build a major underground system. And the first water system, the water tunnel, was completed in 1917. The second one was completed in 1936. And the first part of the third tunnel, 
It was activated in 1998, after being under construction since 1970. Is this work cheap and easy? Well, Water Tunnel Number 3 ranks as the largest capital construction project in New York City's history. And it even cost the lives of 24 underground construction workers. But they say that these tunnels now ensure the finest water supply system in the world. And they pray that it will remain very stable for a number of years to come. To fix a major problem, all that's needed is the will to change. This enables us to think about the enormous changes that had awaited a church of almost 2,000 years ago in its infancy. You know, it's a whole lot easier to build tunnels and subways and water systems and to bury telephone lines than it is to change the mindsets of generations of thinking before the time of that early church. That was as true then as it is now. You know, you can topple governments within days with superior firepower and overwhelming numbers. But it's another thing to win the hearts of people. You can pass laws that protect the less fortunate or even create an equal playing field for minorities. But it's another thing to do away with racial bias. It's this type of thing that Peter's discovering as he returns to Jerusalem after his journey along the coast through places like Joppa and Lydda. And back home in Jerusalem, the center of religious thought and cultural life, he's debriefed about it, talking about these activities where he was in the homes of non-Jews, who it was rumored they had received the gospel good news, and they received it with enthusiasm. I love Peter's statement in that previous chapter, Acts 10, when he says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. And so during this session, Peter's recounting the things that happened. He's retracing his steps of a curious story about his vision on a rooftop. And Peter had taken that vision to mean that God was doing a new thing, making the unclean clean. That is to say, extending the good news to a non-Jewish world. And he cites a case here, a case study, basically. There's three non-Jewish persons or Gentiles, and they arrived at the place where he's staying, and they invited him to visit Cornelius, a Roman military official. And Peter felt compelled to go with them, and so he does. And shortly thereafter, he's face-to-face with Cornelius. And after some discussion and a brief recounting of the heart of the gospel, it seems like there's a Holy Spirit revival that's breaking out. And the Spirit is clearly moving among these people. And Peter says to his Jerusalem colleagues, so if God gave them the same gift that he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? That's a good question. Until now, the early church clearly had positioned itself solidly with the Jewish religious elements of it. And these experiences, however, that he's having and they are, well, it began a separation process in which the new Jews, as far as those who became Christians, in a new young faith which was known as the way, it would soon emerge with its own identity. 
they would have something that's quite distinct and apart from the Jewish roots that they had known. And those followers, they would soon, we know, would be called Christian. And that would be in a non-Jewish city called Antioch. Well, the Jewish laws and the customs had been a part of everyone's life at that point. They were the telephone poles that really needed to be cut down and removed. And it was a huge challenge for those early Christians. But since God is in the business of cutting down telephone poles and doing a new thing, their thought was probably like Peter's. Who were they to think that they could stand in God's way? Well, later in the book of Acts, Luke records conflicts between Paul and members of the circumcision party. And that circumcision party, they were made up of Jewish Christians, but they were the ones who had rejected Peter's vision and his experiences. And they insisted that if Gentiles want to follow Jesus Christ, well, first they have to become Jews. And Paul brings this issue before the first Christian council, which is a meeting of Christian leaders. And that council, they decided in Paul's favor for inclusion rather than exclusion. But it took scores of years and perhaps even centuries for that change which was instituted by God to be widely accepted. In fact, in history, dramatic change has always been preceded by the dismantling of the telephone pole of that day. A man named Thomas Kuhn, in his book, The Structures of Scientific Revolutions, he calls these changes paradigm shifts. That was a term that was popular in the 1980s and even in the 90s. Galileo, he was a pole chopper. He helped to move us from a geocentric view of the universe, and that was where the earth was the center of everything and all things revolved around us. Instead, he moved us to a modern sun-centered solar system that we go around. Martin Luther, Louis Pasteur, Thomas Edison, Alexander Graham Bell, Orville and Wilbur Wright, Henry Ford, Albert Einstein, Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King Jr., Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, they're all pole choppers. The struggle continues today. Not in the same form, of course, as these people, but there's still a tension in the church as God moves us beyond traditional forms to new and exciting adventures. There's two kinds of people in the church today. There's the pole huggers and the pole choppers. The church has struggled to be inclusive rather than exclusive throughout its history. If we have been in the church for any length of time, we have probably faced those struggles firsthand. It seems that Jesus is intent that every time we make a circle to determine who is in and who is out, that Jesus steps outside that circle and dares us to make it bigger. And like the Israelites, we are challenged to be in the world, but not of the world. Jesus, in our gospel, what does he command us? To love one another as I have loved you. And living out these instructions each day, that can be an overwhelming task. And it can also be a confusing one. What does a life lived in this way really look like? The forces within our church and even within society, they seem to be at odds at important basic teachings of Jesus. 
We in the United States, we appear to be more divided and hostile today than we were compared to perhaps the times of the 1960s and even going back to the Civil War. In the midst of all this, I find myself asking some simple questions to help me perhaps determine the decisions I make and the path that I walk. And these are important questions for you to ask yourself. Does what I hear, see, and read, does it foster understanding or is it fear? Does it hurt others while I benefit? Does it widen the circle or does it make it smaller? Does it promote peace between people or violence? Does it inspire me to love my neighbor as myself? You know, such tensions are really tricky because they don't all break down clearly as far as when we look at right and wrong or good and evil. And as we look over our congregation, we realize that this is really a balancing act, one that the people, both pastors and members, are constantly performing. Part of the job of a pastor is to be open to new understandings and to share these new developments with the congregation. But at the same time, we're charged with being guardians of the ancient faith while being open to perhaps new expressions of that faith. It's difficult for a pastor to really know how much to change and how much to preserve. In other words, what telephone poles need to be chopped down and which need to be left standing. What we all need is a word from the Lord, such as the guidance Peter had received when he heard the words, Do not call anything unclean that God has called clean and made clean. Until then, we can do no better than the example that Jesus had set in his own earthly ministry. And that was an example of being willing to break down established laws purity laws, in order to minister to the outcasts of society. Remember that Jesus is the one who healed on the Sabbath. That was certainly against the Jews' teaching. He was the one who healed people who were even unclean. Jesus is the one who put the needs of children before the needs of adults. That was definitely opposite of Jewish culture. And he was the one who preferred the company of sinners over saints. Jesus is never afraid to chop down a telephone pole or two. But that's not to say that Jesus is really devoted to destruction. No, his mission is to institute a new and a better way for all. And what Jesus really did was he took an old approach and he replaced it with a new and better way. A purity of law became a purity of love. What we're left with is a purity of love that's really embodied in the gracious and unselfish ministry of Jesus Christ. He knocks down the old law in order to replace it with a new love. And so as followers of Christ ourselves today, the question is, what's our telephone pole problem today? Perhaps our telephone pole is a tendency to reach out to only a few members of God's enormous and wonderfully diverse family. We're challenged to get to know the immigrant from Africa who works down the hall from us. We're asked to reach out to the neighborhood teen who is becoming increasingly withdrawn. 
were dared to adapt the handicapped child who requires special care. We're invited to welcome young singles to the church and also to take the church out to our elderly members who are confined to their homes. And unless we look beyond and see our normal category of friends and acquaintances that we might have, we'd end up like those Jewish Christians who couldn't see beyond their own customs and their religious policies. Then again, it may be that the telephone pole is a little more personal. Perhaps it's a relationship type of issue that needs to be addressed. Perhaps it's a personal burden of guilt that needs to be removed. Perhaps it's a forgiveness problem that needs to be revisited. Or perhaps an addiction that needs to be confronted. In Luke 6, verse 42, Jesus talks about the need for us to take the log out of our own eye so that we can see clearly to take the speck out of our neighbor's eye. Maybe that log is a telephone pole. And perhaps if we remove it, we'll see both our neighbors and ourselves more clearly. There's really one way to experience God's love and light and power uninterrupted. Pull down the poles. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all of our understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, who is your Lord and Savior. Amen. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.